Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Open our eyes and our ears to see the beautiful, wonderful things you want us to learn about this dwelling place, about your testimony. We give you thanks. We give you praise and glory in your son, Yahushua's name. Amen. Okay, so we are uh, again in Exodus 25-26. For those of you that are new, we're not on the yearly cycle that most are on. We're on a three-year triennial cycle. So it gives us smaller pieces. We really like that because it gives us a chance to dig in a little bit better. Because normally with the yearly cycle, there are big chunks of readings that are just way too much to try to cover in an hour. So this, we've, we really like this. So anyway, that's where we're at. So what are we going to talk about today? Children, youth, young at heart. We're not, we don't have anything uh, for the kids today. Next week we'll pick that up and I'll explain a little later why. But what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about the veil. We're going to talk about the tabernacle, the cherubim, the testimony of our Elohim. What is his will for us? What is his standard for behavior for his people? And so we're going to begin in our New Testament portion of Hebrews chapter 9. If you want to turn there, we can look at what Hebrews 9 has to say about the tabernacle. Now I noticed something about Hebrews 9 that I didn't really realize before. And if you notice... I grayed out the word covenant because the word covenant's not in the, the original text. Does someone have a comment? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I could have waited, but the, it's real quick. The curtains, the four and the five, were joined by brass hooks. Would the word in the, in the scripture be echad? It is echad, yes. Yep. Uh, so covenant is not there, so I grayed it out. And the church looks at this as talking negatively about the covenant, what was given at Sinai. But if you notice here, he's talking about the curtains. He's talking about the two, two sections, the holy place and the holy of holies. And he says the, the first had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. He's talking about that first area where the lampstand was, where the um, uh, table of showbread is. Because if you notice in verse 3, he says, and behind the second, so he's telling you what the first is, now he's going to tell you what the second is. So it's not anything about covenant, it's all about the tabernacle or the temple. And so the church didn't quite dig in deep enough to find out what is the first and the second here. And so everyone just assumed, oh, they're talking negatively about that first covenant. It, it's been done away with. Well, that's not even the context of what's being said here by the writer. So he's referring to these two sections, two veils that separate these two areas of divine worship. Okay? So that's what this verse 1, 2, 3, and 4 is talking about. And I would make notes in my Bible if I were you, so that if somebody wants to use this as a pretext to point to their, what they think they're understanding, you can say, well, wait a minute, let's really look at this uh, covenant's not actually in the Greek 
original language. So verse 27 says, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Messiah also having been offered once to bear the, we talked about this over the last couple weeks, it's not sins, it's punishment. To bear the punishment of many, he will appear, Dan will like this because Dan says this several times, he's going to appear a second time for what? Why does he need to appear a second time for salvation if you've already got it now? <laughs> He's going to appear a second time for salvation without reference to punishment. Without reference to guilt. To those who eagerly await him, and as Acts says, Acts 5.32, those that obey. Okay? If you have questions, comments, raise your hand. The microphone will make its way to you. So we're going to jump to our prophet portion of Isaiah chapter 66. And what's interesting is, in Ralphie's in-depth study, he's referencing Isaiah 66 in his study to make points of Acts chapter 12, and I hope he, he uh, reminds us of some of those things that uh, make the connection, because it will really help, because you, if those of you that weren't here during the in-depth, you need to hear it. So verse 2 says, and all these my hands have made, and all these that exist, declares Yahweh, yet to such a one I look. Who's he going to look at? On him who is poor and bruised of spirit, and who trembles at my word. Now I put testimony there because actually the word devar, or debar, however you want to translate it, uh, it, is, it is translated many times in our English Bibles as testimony where it's, it's really, the word is devar, it's, it's translated as testimony. Because the, the testimony is the place where the word, the devar, actually is placed. So in reality, the word becomes the testimony. We'll get into that in a minute. So whoever trembles at my testimony, and keep this in mind as we look at testimony, what has he testified about? Well, the Almighty has testified of all the things that happened to the Israel, at Sinai, he's testifying to them of all the things that happened before Sinai that they have no clue about. He's testifying of this is what happened, and this is true. Then he's testifying of all that he's going to do to them from that moment forward. Now for you and I, we're reading about a testimony of everything that happened before our life existed, going back, and everything that our Messiah and what was said at Sinai about what goes forward in our lives from here. So it's an important testimony. An important testimony. Going on, verse 3. But the lawless, this is from the Greek, this, isn't, this is from the Septuagint, because you'll see in the English it has a different word for lawless. Anybody, say what yours says, if you have some other words other than lawless. Any other words in English? But the what? The what? Well, what does your Bible say for law? What does it say? Give me the one word for lawless, but the what? We had three, right? Yeah, verse three. It says, but the what, who sacrifices to me a calf. What it is says, but whoever uh, slays the bull strikes a man without okay. slaughter. Well, the whoever is the Torahless. 
Yeah, because that's the, yep. So, so this, this whoever, the word here in, in uh, the Septuagint the is lawless. And who sacrifices to me a calf? I put fruit of lips because what do, what we, what do you always say is Hosea says that our lips substitute for the sacrifice of the bulls. David says, may my hands be spread out to you towards heaven, be as worthy as the evening offering. So you might as well say, but the lawless who give to me a sacrifice of their lips, thanksgiving, prayer, whatever, is like one who kills a dog. And he who offers fine flour, like one who offers swine's blood. The point is, if you don't have covenant relationship with him, if you don't know him, you're not walking in his ways, then you're offering something that just doesn't really matter. Whether it's something from your lips, or back in the day you were slaughtering an animal. He is... He who has given frankincense for a memorial is like a blasphemer. And these have chosen what? Their own way and their own abominations, which their soul wanted. They chose their way and not my way. They chose someone else's word and not my word. They went on the testimony of Joe down there and not my testimony. Let's call it what it is. Verse 4, so I will choose mockeries for them and repay them for their sins because I called them and they did not answer me. I spoke and they did not shema. But they did what was evil in my sight and chose the things I did not desire. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to fill in the blank, whatever you want to put in it. Did he say that he desires... I'll give you one. You to eat unclean food? No, he didn't say that. That is not his desire. Did he say that he desires you to substitute the Passover for a different feast? No, he didn't say that. That's not his desire. You see, they chose the things that he didn't desire and brought them upon themselves, and now judgment comes upon those who do those things. Verse 5. Okay, go ahead. So I was going to say something about verse 3. When, when you were reading that verse about verse 3, it immediately reminded me of Cain. And then that's why, that's right there, seems exactly why Cain's sacrifice wasn't accepted because he was already lawless in his heart. He already had that heart that was against Yah because he wanted to do what was convenient to him, not what the father had called him to do. And I would add, maybe he brought something that the, uh, the father did not desire. Not only just in heart, but actually in physical substance. Verse 5, hear the word of Yahweh, you who tremble at his testimony, your brothers who hate you, who cast you out for my name's sake, said, let Yahweh be esteemed so that we may see your joy. But they are put to shame. The word cast me out or cast you out is this Hebrew word, and it means to put away or exclude. Now, it's... It comes from, it's 
rooted in the word nada, to put away, to cast out. How many of you know what nada really is? There's another meaning for, tell us, what does nada mean? Hold on, we've got to wait for the mic. Hold on, wait, wait. Well, it means separation, but it also is what they call when a woman is ministrating. So is that what you they wanted? cast someone away like a, a filthy thing, treated them filthy because they were not in social status or whatever, and God's not happy with that. So the verb nada means to exclude, to refuse, to think of. Um, it can also, this other derivative, to impel, to drive away, to banish, a filthy, menstruous thing, put apart. So yes, very, very rough stuff. Verse 6, a roaring sound from the city, a voice from the Chechal, the voice of Yahuwah repaying his enemies. Before she labored, she gave birth. Before a pain came to her, she was delivered of a male child. Who has heard this, the like of this? Who has seen the like of these? Is a land born forth in a day? Is a community born at once? Is a nation born at once? For as soon as Zion labored, she gave birth to her children. Remember we were talking about Zion? We've been talking about that for the past couple of weeks. And verse 17, this is important. Those who set themselves apart and cleanse themselves at the gardens, key part is the gardens, after one in the midst, eating flesh of pigs and the abomination and the mouse, they are snatched away together. Reminded me of Matthew 24, 30. Then there'll be two men in the field and one will be snatched away and the one will be left. Hmm, it's kind of a parallel here, isn't it? Doesn't look good for the guy snatched away, does it? I didn't know you because you were eating the pigs and you were doing the things I didn't desire. I did not desire that. We're not in relationship. And I think this is the last. Oh, we got one more. Verse 18, and I understand their works and their reasoning. I am coming to gather all the nations and tongues and they shall come and shall see my glory. And I will leave signs upon them. What sign do we put on when we're praying here? The Tav? Remember, he, he's only, we have a textual proof of only one sign that he's applied to somebody on their body. And it's clearly, the word is Tav in Hebrew, which is what you see here written. This is the ancient script. And from them I will send forth those who are saved or preserved, some texts say survived, to the nations. Going to send them to the nations. Why? To be a testimony. We're going to get into that in a minute. Verse 24, And they shall go forth and see the limbs of the people who have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched. And they shall become a spectacle to all flesh. Man, I don't want to be one of those people. I don't want to be a spectacle to the whole world because I did something that I wanted to do and it wasn't what God had desired. 
it won't be good. Okay. No questions? We can move to our Torah portion. Exodus chapter 25. Verse 2. Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me from every man whose heart moves him. God's not saying you've all got to do this. You're demanded to give to me. He wants it to come from the heart. And he says, if your heart moves on you to give, then give. Don't you love a God that's not just a domineering, forceful, he wants you to give, he wants you to love, but it's got to come from your heart. You shall raise my, the Greek word for contribution here is first fruits. Kind of interesting, isn't it? You shall raise my first fruits. You know, it's amazing that God's heart moved upon himself to give his first fruit, his son, that we might have life everlasting. His heart moved upon him to give a first fruit. And God's asking people here to have their heart move upon them to give a first fruit for the contribution to build this tabernacle, this dwelling place. You guys are very, very quiet. No one's jumping in. Someone has a hand up? Yes, go ahead, bud. Way to break the silence, bud. <laughs> okay. A couple of years ago, I, guys, I told you guys about us. Years ago, we're going back in the 60s. I was working four jobs. We couldn't hardly pay the bills. Leona came up to me. We was on the front porch. She said, I'm going to start tithing. <laughs> and I blew up. I didn't think I said good words. <laughs> How do you think we're supposed to do this? She said, I'm going to start tithing. I remember it's $10. I don't remember, was it $10 the 1st, the 15th, or 10 I don't remember, but pretty soon she's given 25 And the Lord blessed us because we tithed to where we are today. If we had not tithed, and I firmly believe this, I tell anybody else of their financial problem, tithe what you can. Maybe it's a dollar. Maybe it's 50 cents to get started. But tithe. If you tithe, the Lord will respond. Hallelujah. I firmly believe that. So what you're saying is... <laughs> Our God is faithful. Hallelujah. And you know what? Maybe he's looking for people to be a testimony and a witness to his faithfulness if they would just jump out there and do it so they can find out. I've got a story about my testimony of what happened to me over uh, Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday this week. Um, I can share that with you as we get towards the end. So first fruits, you shall make two cherubim of gold. Make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. So that our text does not describe the two intended figures in detail. It merely states that they have wings and faces, and it does, no, does so in a manner which suggests that the cherubim were well fixed in the reader's imagination. Most likely they were conceived as having the body of an animal, such as a bull or a lion, and the head of a human being. Figures like cherubim, or caribou in Akkadian, were established in ancient Mesopotamian folklore as creatures that mediated between humans and gods, bringing prayers before the deity and guarding holy places. The Egyptian sphinx seems to be of a similar order as the cherub. It had the body of a lion and the human face. Never looked at the sphinx that way until I read this commentary, but it's a really interesting take on it because it is guarding the, the big pyramids, isn't it? So, it's, you know, people that, that don't read the Bible are like, what are we talking about here? 
I mean, what's all this about? Doesn't God, isn't he against uh, uh, carved images? Hmm. By the way, did any of you read Solomon's temple? How many calves were holding up the laver that was underneath that laver? How many bulls? Pretty interesting. Anyway, verse 24. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim, the flaming sword which turned away every direction. So this cherubim here in 324 is the same cherubim that's going into the Holy of Holies, the same image. Ezekiel 1.5, within it were, the, were figures resembling four living beings, and this was their appearance. They had human form. Then I looked, and behold, in the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, something like a sapphire stone. Now, he's recounting to you what he's seeing. In appearance resembling a throne appeared before them. So in the Torah, cherubim are said to guard the Garden of Eden from the unauthorized intruders, in Ezekiel's famous vision, they were creatures with four faces of human, lion, ox, and eagle, similar to the four winds upon which God was poetically said to ride. By the way, it's also the four constellations at the four corners of the heavens. So if you don't know, those four figures are at the four corners. The constellations are those four images at the four corners of the heavens. He's gliding on the winds of the heaven, mounted on the cherubim. Interesting. So here's a picture of an ancient Assyrian depiction of a cherub that they found in Babylon, and actually in Nineveh. And it's in the museum. It's, it's gigantic. The top of the crown of the head is way over my head. It was a, there was two of them guarding the way into the uh, gate, and uh, just big, enormous things. Uh, you can see that sometimes you'll notice, I've, I've, I've looked at several images of cherubim, and all of them have wings, but some of them will have the body of a lion or the body of a bull, and you always have to look at the feet because sometimes it'll have the hoof, sometimes it'll have the paw of a lion. So 1 Kings 8, 6, Then the priest brought the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh to its place into the inner sanctuary of the house, to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. Let me show you what that looked like. Gigantic cherubim with the ark below the wings spread out over them. Now here it doesn't really depict what the face is of of the cherubim, but you can see on the one on the right that it looks like hoof, and it's obviously a body of an animal, but the face is different, but it has wings. Now these are, this is biblical stuff, renditions about what we're seeing. We can't, if you don't like it, read it again. Maybe it'll wear on you. But this is what the Almighty put in this Holy of Holies. And this is what he saw in the vision of seeing the Almighty. This is what he stationed at the garden. There's something about the cherubim. We may not understand it, but he does. That's all you need to know. He understands it, and he has a purpose for it. We don't have to get acquainted with it. We don't have to shake hands with it. But you need to know that he is the one that's authored it, okay? Verse 9, And you shall make an ark of witness or testimony from decay-resistant, incorruptible wood. Now I want to say to you, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'll probably say it here in a minute, so I'll wait. 
when we enter and know the covenant and then become a witness, we too, like the ark, are made of moral decay-resistant substance, which is the word, that testimony that's in it, and this is what his Torah does to you and I. When we take his incorruptible word in us, we become that decay-resistant, moral decay-resistant substance in that's overlaid with that beautiful gold of his kingdom. That's what we're to be. That's who we're to be. Verse 16, and you shall deposit in the ark the witnesses. In the Greek it is plural. In Hebrew it's singular. Because there's two tablets. I'm guessing why the Greek's plural. You shall deposit the witnesses or the testimonies in this ark, which, whichever I give to you. It's going to go in here and it's going to have the cherub over it. There's something very interesting about this ark that we're going to learn here in a minute. You guys are quiet. Verse 23, And you shall make a table of pure gold, the length of two cubits, and the width of one cubit, the height of a cubit and a half. And what's supposed to go on it? Six things on this side, six things on this side. What are the six things? Showbread. And it's to be before... Him, opposite of the what? The lampstand. Verse 31, And you shall make a lampstand, a menorah, from pure gold. You shall make the menorah engraved. Its stem and branches and bowls and buds and lilies shall be part of it. It shall be one unit. Echad? Gosh, you guys are quiet. Then he made, by the way, how many of you knew that in Solomon's temple there were ten of these? How many of you knew that? Raise your hand if you knew that there was ten lamps, ten menorahs in Solomon's temple. Here it is. Second Chronicles 4.7 Then he made the ten golden lampstands, or menorahs, in the way prescribed for them, and he set them in the temple, five on the one side and five on the other. Go ahead. I was going to ask, is, is Echad, the lampstands were made of pure gold. One, one solid piece. One solid piece. So is that also the word Echad? Because you know, I, I was saying it for your benefit. I'm not sure because I didn't look at that. What word was it in the, in the lampstand? Is the word Echad in it, in the description for the, for the, for the lampstand? It's obviously a chad because it's one piece. Obviously, it's just it's one. It's one piece. But whether the word is in there or not, I can't remember. Yes, Mike. Oh, I, I thought I read this morning it was a hot with a tav, which is the same words, just yeah. a different gender. Yeah. Okay. So here's the ten menorahs in Solomon's temple. Five on the one side, and then of course, if you looked on the other side. The black arrows are showing you where they were, and five on the other. Big place. But yeah, there was ten in there. Not just one like in the tabernacle in the wilderness. Solomon put ten. Very interesting. 
Verse 8, let them construct a dwelling for me that I may dwell among them. It's really how it reads in the Hebrew. Let them construct a dwelling that I may dwell. Now, Ashanti, I saw this word, and it's Shachanti. Had you ever seen that in the Hebrew? You put an A in front of the S, take the K out, and we've got Ashanti right here in front of our face. I thought that was kind of interesting. And it means to dwell. Okay? According to all that I am going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern and all its furniture, so you shall construct it. Of course, the word for tabernacle is Mishkan. And I want you to notice the sheen, the coffin, the noon. And you can see that it's also the same, uh, it's a root word for to dwell. I know it's Shekhanti in the Hebrew in this text, but the, the, the actual root word for Shekhanti is Shekhan. Both of them represent the same root uh, three letters. So basically, like I said, it's make, it's, he's saying, make a dwelling place that I may dwell. Now this is a lot like the Garden of Eden, isn't it? Didn't he make a dwelling place that he could dwell among the people? He made the dwelling place and then he dwelt. Now he's asking Moses to make a dwelling place according to the one he saw in heaven that he may dwell among his people. Do you think he's trying to get things back to the Garden of Eden? Wow, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? But that's really what we see through the text. And this, the Greek word for tabernacle is this Greek word here. Okay? That's the Greek word for tabernacle. And in John 1.14, it appears. And the word became flesh and dwelt. Now think of this. If the word became flesh and dwelt, what was in that testimony that was dwelling? It was the word. It was the, the, the devar, the, the word, the testimony. It's what's dwelling amongst the people is what's in that ark, in that testimony. And I'm going to show you in a minute that that's what it is. It's our Messiah. He's there at the ark dwelling with the people. The word is there. And the world says it's done away with. Really? We saw his glory as the one only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So my question to you is, why is this idea of tabernacling or dwelling such a problem today? And I give you the answer. It's because nobody is interested in what Yahuwah defines as holy. And so, therefore, can he dwell in an unholy place? Of course not. Ain't going to happen. Otherwise, he wouldn't have told Moses to make this one like the one in heaven. He'd say, hey, just cut down some wood, you know, throw some stuff in it, you know, just, you know, slaughter whatever you want. I mean, no, that's not what it was. He had a plan, he had a design, and the whole thing is holy. I'm going somewhere with this, so bear with me a minute. I am holy, therefore you shall be holy. Moen writes, Practices in other cultures were intended to placate the gods and prevent the harm of evil spirits. The intention in Israel is to draw God closer. Israel's uniqueness in the ancient world was an Elohim who lived with his people. 
In the modern world, that is no longer the case. The modern world has exiled God out of creation and out of their lives. And what we have effectively accomplished is a return to Babylon, a theology that removes God from intimacy with his people. Heavy stuff. His glory. Glory is one only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Are you full of grace and truth? We must work hard at not talking about our brother. Lashon Hara is not grace, and it's definitely not truth. Hand up over here. I every now and then say this and reiterate it because it's the very thing that breaks the community apart, and it's worth reminding us once in a while about not doing Lashon, not evil speech, not talking about one another, because gossip destroys friendships, fellowships. We want to stay in great communion with one another because I guarantee you he's not gossiping about you. The, the enemy is. The enemy's going up there and going, you know, that so-and-so, they're doing this and this and that. They're not doing what you said. Let me wipe them out. Barry. I attended a congregation in, in California. It was a Spanish-speaking congregation. They had a big sign on one of the walls that said, uh, say the word again, I can't. Lashon Hurrah. In, in big letters, red circle, line through it. <laughs> If I printed something like that up, could we put that over the door? Would you please? I would be happy to. Do we need <laughs> reminders? Yes, we need reminders. What do you think the tzitzit is? We need reminders. I remember someone told me one time, come on, we don't need reminders. I said, well, God does. They go, you're out of your mind. God doesn't need reminders. I go, really? What about the rainbow in the sky? He said he put the rainbow so that we remind him not to destroy the world again by water. Oh, he needed a reminder. Well, if he does, I guarantee you we do. And up here. And here. Go ahead, bud. Oh, Leota, go ahead. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. An example of a Lashon Hara that I had heard from a very... Um, anointed teacher was the fact that he was in a California airport and he was walking to get his plane. And in California, the dresses can be pretty, not really on a person, <laughs> you know, very scantily dressed, these women. And he saw three or four women coming towards him. And right away, his mind went, ah. But then his hand hit his seat seat, and he remembered, I have made a covenant <laughs> with my God. <laughs> awesome. You know, our brother Judah gives us a, an example of what Lashon Haraz is really like. And they say, it's like taking a feather pillow, tearing a little, actually tearing one end of it off, and outside when the wind is blowing, and they're throwing it like this, and they say, Lashon Haraz like those feathers, how can you possibly go and get every single feather to put back in that pillow? You cannot. And neither can your words that you let go out of your mouth. You cannot retrieve them. Huh? The three what? The three deaths, yes. Say them. One, okay, it'll come back to you as soon as she says, let, let, 
let her say the three deaths first. Since it's right on the topic. They say it's like having three deaths. It's the person who you're speaking about. Yes. The, sper- the person who is speaking and the person who is listening. <laughs> yeah, that should let you know if someone's doing it, plug your ears and run. Yes. I've been trying to figure out how to fit this in here during Ralphie's study and this portion, but um, I've often mentioned this to Mark a few times that um, I listen to 90.3, a Christian radio station. And today they mentioned El Shaddai, which is Hebrew for God Almighty. Mm. And I keep getting these things coming in like this, and it's somehow they're getting touched by saying these things. And Mm. I just want to encourage us to remember that we came from a place where they're at right now and that we need to not scare them away and just shun them because they don't have our beliefs because... This is seeking into them little by little for them to be mentioning Yeshua and El Shaddai. Yeshua went to the tax collector, didn't he? We got a couple of other hands up. The Bible clearly says life is in the power of our tongues. So what we speak, we take in and we can speak life or death. On That's either right. ourselves or on our brother. So this is why it's important for us to speak as we are supposed to speak. Amen. Well said. Mike. Mike, right here. It's a scary thing to think that every word we speak, we have to get an account of. Yep. Stuff, stuff. Okay. We're going to look at this word, idut. The word for testimony. So one of the names for Elohim's word is testimonies or testimony. The Hebrew word is ida or idut. Another feminine noun originally meaning testimony is witness or even a warning sign. It eventually came to be used then for a solemn testimony of the will of God and a sober and serious expression of God's standards for human behavior. In other words, Elohim's testimonies are not suggestions or optional proposals, rather his absolute standard for life. It is tremendously significant, in fact, that the stone tablets containing the Ten Commandments are called God's testimony. Elohim's solemn divine charge or duty. It was also frequently used of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of testimony, and even the Ark of Covenant, the Ark of the Testimony. Further, it is also used at times to refer to the entire Torah of Elohim as being the testimony. The definition of right behavior, therefore, is not up for grabs as everyone does, as relativism maintains in our day. It is rather a marked out standard from our Father above. This standard is also what we should be proclaiming without apology to the world. If you're going to be the light that's not hidden under the bushel, then you need to be proclaiming the testimony. You need to be living the testimony. Just as David did before the kings, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did before the king of Babylon, as Peter did before the religious leaders, as Stephen did before the council, 
as Paul did before Felix, Festus, and Agrippa. As all of you do to the world, that should be your light, what you see in this testimony. Now, we're going to learn a lesson. Well, you guys are being very quiet today. Verse 21. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I give you, and I will be known to you from there. Now, when the master says, I never knew you, it's because the place that he's known, they never went there. They never cared to look into the testimony in the ark and read God's standard for life because now they don't know he is and he doesn't know them. Here's the place to know God. And it's, you're seeing here the modern script here and the ancient script here. Now, this looks like an eye, doesn't it? That's ein. That's what it means. And then we've got a door. That's what the dalit means, okay? And then we've got the sign of the covenant, the thing that where they were putting on the foreheads here. Now, ein means to see to know. I will know you there. It also means to reveal. The Dalit means the path to enter. The Tav means the cross, the covenant, or the sign of the covenant. So the testimony is for us to know and to enter into covenant. That's what the word means. So we have a hand here and then we have a hand up here. So um, as you're talking about the temple, uh, I mean the tabernacle, and how y'all wanted them to, to, to build it in a very specific way so that it reflected what was in, in heaven. And it, it describes how the tabernacle is a dwelling place of Yah. And it reminded me of, was it 1 Corinthians 3.16? This is, do you not know that you are a dwelling place of Elohim and that the spirit of Elohim dwells in you? So... He's in us, and then because of that, it also reminded me of Romans 12, 1 and 2. A lot of you probably already know it. <laughs> I call upon you, therefore, brothers, through the compassion of Elohim, to present your bodies a living offering, set apart, well-pleasing to Elohim, your reasonable worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you prove what is good and well-pleasing and perfect desire of Elohim. So... Now that he dwells within us as his temple, we are called to be clean. We are called to be set apart for his glory and for his purposes, which means following his commands, obeying his testimony to what he does so that we are light to the nations. As we go in and draw close to him and enter into that area where the, the Holy Sphere where the word, the testimony, the commandments, the Torah is at, we are transformed. Something amazing takes place. We're changed. We're no longer the same. We're no longer, instead of, de instead of decay wood, we become decay resistant. Instead of just uh, bronze covering, we become gold plated. 
Instead of being trampled upon by the world, we become blessed. And we become in a covenant relationship where we're known by Him. How many of you want to be known by Elohim? Where we're known by Him and we know Him. Yes. I'm glad you're here with this, Edut, because um, I hope that everybody makes this connection. The Ein and the Dalit are in large letters. Every time we say the Shema, we are a witness because it has an Ein and a Dalit, and we're the witness. So make that connection of every time we say the Shema, think about this stuff that you're we're talking the about. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me? We're going to close with something very amazing. Oh, wait, Bob, go ahead. Go ahead, stand up. This could take a little bit. Go ahead. Okay. So the tabernacle is one of the, uh, a subject in the, the Bible that is most spoke about. Yep. So there's a reason behind all that. A lot of people, when you look at the book of Exodus, they think, oh, Exodus. Moses didn't give the book Exodus the name Exodus. That was given later. A lot of people will stop at Exodus um, chapter 12. Uh, with the um, the lamb, the Passover lamb, and the Passover lamb taking us from death to life. Some will take it as far as going to chapter 14, going through the um, Red Sea, freedom or slavery into freedom. Some will take it as far as 24, which is the renewed covenant. And that's when they stop. But we forget about 25 through 40, which is about the tabernacle. Amen. Now, the tabernacle... Um, if I may, chapters 1 through 24, so the mo for most Exodus is about coming out of tyranny from Pharaoh or Satan. The goal or consummation of this book is the building of God's dwelling place on earth in us. Exodus 1 through 24, chapters 1 through 24 is preparation. 25 through 40 is building of the tabernacle. You're going to look at this as being a bunch of furniture, a bunch of this, a bunch of that. So I just want to encourage you, Go home and look past the words. Yes. And read what you're not seeing. Yes. Exodus 25, 1 through 9 are crucial because its emphasis is not about the furniture, but it's about the tabernacle. See, the tabernacle typifies both the individual Messiah and the corporate Messiah, the body, us. Ephesians 1, 22 to 23, the fullness of him who fills in all. In order for Messiah to have the body, or a.k.a. the church, we need to have more experience of Messiah. See, Moses received the vision of the tabernacle when he was on the mountaintop under the glory of God, where God removed the veil. Then Moses saw the vision of the heavenly things. It wasn't until then did he see it. Hebrews 8, 5, who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. It took Moses 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain for the spiritual things to happen, to take place. The 40 is trials. Things aren't going to come easy. It's, there's nowhere written in the Bible that I know of that says, Thou shall make it very easy for you. All the materials described in 25, 1 through 9, refer to the virtue of Messiah's person and his work. So if you just read it as saying, No, oh, this is what it says, take this and this and this and this. There are 12 kinds, uh, the, the first, excuse me, Exodus 25.3, it starts, the list starts with gold and silver and ends with precious stones. 
Because we look at 1 Colossians 3.11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than which is laid, which is Yeshua Messiah. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or stubble, so it's referring back to that. The 12 kinds of materials are made up of three categories, minerals, plants, and animals. The materials are for building, plants are for generating life, and animals are for redemption. So this is only in the first nine verses of 25. Messiah's life is first for redemption, second for, regener- or for generation, and third for building. Hashem, or God's goal, is the building. For us to be built up together as God's dwelling place, we're to be the living tabernacle. That's right. We need both the redeeming life and regenerating life. If we would be built up, we need the generating life. And if we would be regenerated, we need the redeeming life. We have to get past all that. And then you go into the minerals. There's gold, silver, bronze, onyx stone, other precious stones. There's reasons behind that. Each one, again, or signifying Messiah's divine nature, regenerative work, judgment. It, just, it goes on and on. I could speak forever on this because the tabernacle is my most favorite subject. Look at the tabernacle. When you think of the tabernacle, you enter at the, the bronze altar. I said it last week, the Lukot. The Ten Commandments are the same word for the Ten Commandment tablets are on the side of the, the, the altar. Because you need to see those Ten Commandments. You need to see yourself as the living sacrifice on that altar. You have the altar, then you have the laver. They're on an east-west axis. They're far apart. They're made of bronze and wood. When you go into the holy place, they're on a north-south axis. And when you look at the north-south axis, they're made of more precious materials. I'm going to help Barry out on some of this. They're made of more precious materials. When you're into the holy of holies, you even get closer. So you're far apart with the laver and the altar. The menorah and the showbread are closer. When you're in the Holy of Holies, you're touching. It's on a vertical axis. The base is touching the cover. There is no word in the Bible that says mercy seat, just to, not to, bust, you know, to shock right. you. That's right. It's kaparit, yep. or kapor, for covering. Yep. There's a whole reason behind that for, for, for Barry. So out in the world, there's the physical, um, which is the world of separation. I'm talking about the courtyard which we think is normal, but it isn't. Because in the eternity past and the world to come, the world's separation will be just a shadow of the past before perfection came. So get a picture of this whole thing in a tabernacle. In the courtyard, you have the brazen altar, which is fire, spiritual. In the labor, water, which is physical, coming together. Then in the holy place, you have the menorah, which is fire, spiritual, and the table of showbread made with water, physical, coming together. Even more as they are closer. And then in the holy of holies, the two, the base or the box and the cover become one ikad. As you draw closer to God, closer to holiness, and you come more into his presence, separation falls away. Intimacy increases, you have unity, unity, and unity. So again, as you get closer and closer, the materials become more precious and more pure. But you can't get past the outer court until you become that sacrifice. And before you can live his commandments because we can't get past that. You're not going to see the labor and see the reflection of what the changes would he made in you to allow you to enter into the holy place, to eat of his bread and to see of the holy light, to get into past the veil, past the two cherubim that were going to split in half when Messiah died for us to enter into that one ekad, to where the living word 
is. Just as Mark said, the word is in there. Yes. And it's in us because we are to be the living tabernacles of the Holy Spirit. So, my, yes, well done. So as the mic makes its way to Ashanti, I want to, we need to get this because we are called to draw closer to that place where the testimony is. We're to take that testimony and eat. Yeshua says, this is my body, eat of it. We're to take it internal. And when it comes internal, we're supposed to do, we're supposed to be this walking tabernacle that's doing what it does, not a light hidden, but a light exposed. The enemy wants the lights snuffed out. He doesn't want the lights shining out. He wants everything to be dark. And so when we get closer to this testimony, we let it come in. That's why the enemy wanted to, the, the, to change the text and the scripture say, it's been done away with. He doesn't want people drawing closer to this place here where they will actually know God and he'll know them. Ashanti. So going off of what Bob and Pastor Mark said, actually, um, and you didn't really mention this, and you might have done it in past years, but a villainous is needed and required for what both of you are showing and depicting and saying. And we do see it through the Mashiach and his work as a testimony. Yes. Right. He told Pilate that for one reason he was born and for this reason he came into the world. And it's to bear witness to the truth. A dut emet. Yes. The truth. Okay. That's right. And so we have to be willing to allow his emet, his truth to transform our lives, and that's the word offering in this context, teruma, okay? The root of ruma is pride, to lift oneself up. But when you teruma, you can get beyond your pride, and you can willingly give to a different cause, okay? This is why Hasatan fell, because he was lifted up. He was puffed up. But when we are like Mashiach, we are willing to lay ourselves down. We are willing to give freely to the building up of his work in his tabernacle within us. And we are the living tabernacles and we need to get it each and every day to humble ourselves and to say, may your Ruach Emet lead me, me." all right? We are to lay our lives down yeah. like he did and return to the covenant yes. and everything that we do and we say and we think. So we should be saying, Yahuwah, like, like Bob is saying, he, there's a picture of entering in so that he can dwell in the midst of us. Amen. And so with that picture, we have to know we have to burn our flesh, Amen. be willing to be on that brazen Amen. altar and to watch, to yes. come and watch in that. And Amen. then we can enter into a set apart place yes. where we become the menorah and we are a light and let be that showbread and <laughs> then we will make it into to the inner court, the yes, holies of holies, yes. where we are on that vertical access, yes. as Bob just mentioned, to be a sweet save in a room, and we are covered under his his kapar, <laughs> just like with Adam and Eve. He, they made fig leaves as their clothing, but what did he bring them? Goats of 
of um, um, animal skins to cover them. From that time, he showed us that he is his our he is our kippurim. Yeah. It says, "Well, me we're on the annual cycle, but in the annual cycle in Peter Kefir, and then also Revelation, it says that before the foundation of the world." Yahusha, the word, was slain to cover us. So we need to get it if he, the word, the yes. living and active word, has covered us. Amen. We need to be willing now to allow him to do that work Amen. within us. And Amen. then we will, Shekhan, yes. he will dwell Amen. in the midst of us, right? Yes. Hallelujah. And then we can give him the praise and the glory that is due to his name. So praise Yahuwah. Shikante. Shikante. So let me ask you this, with what she said. Can you imagine the scheme of the enemy? Inside that, where that testimony is, is truth. But if he can get all of God's creation to have falsehood, lies in them, and not truth, it's a total reversal of what God intended for his people to be. Let me get the lies in them where the truth is not there so that they're not a light, they're dark. Oh, but God had a plan to wake people up. That they would start drawing closer to that vertical axis. They would start drawing closer to the testimony and find out that the testimony said something totally different than what the world was telling them. And they said, I want that testimony. I want that truth. And when that happened... Gasoline got poured on the little flame, and we became completely lit, like Elijah's fire. Amen? Like Solomon's fire. Now watch this. Edut is the testimony that's in the ark. Speak to all of the Adat of Israel. The same letters as Edut is the congregation you. You are to be the testimony that you are to reveal the way to the covenant, the Lamb of God, the Messiah. You're the adat to take people to the testimony. Amen. That's your job. You've drawn near and the testimony has come in and now you become the congregation, the adat. You're the one that has the revealing, the pathway to the covenant. That's who you become. And the enemy does not want a multitude of people revealing the way to the truth. That's what he's against. And because of God's opening our eyes and across this earth, he's opening eyes to the truth. All of a sudden, what's arising is an adat that is speaking the edut. An adat that has got the edut in them. And that's powerful. That's powerful. <laughs> but, but, that's right. The blood of the lamb and by the word. So the edut and the lamb, which is the lamb is the covering. This is where he's the covering. All right here at this ark is where you overcome. So I want to speak to you about something. He says, I'm going to speak to you from above this covering, in between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, 
even accord with all that I may command you for the sons of Israel, the ark of congregation, Noah and his family became this adat, this congregation that were to take the edut to the whole world. And you and I are called to do the same today. So you probably realize and may, may notice that this is not my computer. Last Shabbat, my computer crashed on me an hour before I was to go live here before you guys to teach. I had 30 slides made up. And Ward and I are running frantic. Bless his heart, he did. He was in double time as I was. And I'm like, Father, how in the world am I going to remember? I can't even remember what I said yesterday. How am I going to remember 30 slides? And I prayed. And I reached down and I grabbed a hold of the adut. And somehow, God enabled me to speak what he had revealed to me that was on those slides. He enabled me to bring that forward. The computer crashed. We're on our way home. On Sunday, we're snowed in in Holbrook. Can't go to Flagstaff, can't go to Payson. Everything's been shut down. Huh? <laughs> so we get a hotel, stay the night. We get up the next morning. I've got my family members, Polly's sister and mom and dad and her husband. So we're, we're, we, we get up the next morning. We're heading to Payson. Heard the road was open. I get all the way to Holbrook. And my daughter says, Daddy, I just realized I left my backpack and my phone at the hotel 35 miles back. Now, if you're anything like me, the thought of having to retrace your steps and go 35 miles back and then come back 35 miles again, a 90-minute round trip, is just the flesh is tempted. <laughs> the flesh is tried. <sighs> and so I turned around. And even though I was angry, the father reminded me, Mark, if that was your phone in your backpack, wouldn't you turn around at the drop of a hat to go get it? Yes, sir, I would. So we went back to Holbrook to get her stuff. They had it. Polly says, you know, I, I don't feel good about going to Payson. Let's try Flagstaff. So we're heading to Flagstaff. And in between Holbrook and Flagstaff, the car breaks down. And I limp over to a place that has a, it's actually the, the turnoff to go to the, the crater, the meteor crater. And we pull off to a little gas station that has a little, some chips and stuff in there, some, a few little grocery items. And I pull off there. And let me tell you, it's a husband, a man's, you've got your children, you've got your wife, you're broke down. It's a distance either way. And you know, the car's going to be towed. You know, I mean, this is, all this stuff is going through my head. I hadn't eaten in a little while, so I'm starting to get a little shaky, you know, like I do if I'm getting ready to do something in a short minute. And Polly looks over to me and she says, are you okay? I just leaned my head back and I was 
calling and crying out to God. And so she started thinking something's wrong. So she starts getting shaky. So I'm realizing, okay, wait a minute. I reached in to that covering and I grabbed a hold of the adut. When I grabbed a hold of that adut, I told my wife, I said, are we only to praise him when things are going well? Are we to praise him in the midst of the storm when things look so insurmountable, ridiculously just crazy? And I looked at her and I said, we're going to glorify our mighty one. We're going to praise him. We're going to glorify him. And we're going to exalt him. And we're going, to, we're going to do what that edut does, which it says when you reach in and grab a hold of that living word, it revives you. And it revived us. It revived us. And we got a hold of the, the, the uh, tow truck, and the guy had room for all four of us. No one had to be left behind. We got to Flagstaff, and we got us a, a, the, 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 the car was a car that I used for my, my son, and the car had a warranty, and they were going to replace the, the motor for free. It threw a rod. The engine's a four-banger motor. The guy says, these cars, these four-bangers going up this hill come flex up. We have it happen all the time. They can't make it. So we go and get a rental. We scrunch into a smaller vehicle. <laughs> That's all they had. I mean, you could have seen it. It was, it, was, it was a laughing. People were looking at us like, what are they doing in there? I think one kid's leg was here, and my wife's arm was here, and we had stuff everywhere. But you know what? It was, it was just getting dark. It was getting to icy. I said, we've got to get out of here before it gets to 32 degrees, as it's going to get harder. And we made it all the way to the valley. And we glorified God all the way. I put on songs of worship and we magnify Him. But it's because I reached and grabbed the Edut and the Edut came in and transformed me. And instead of me decaying, I quickly became decay resistant from all the worries of what's going on and I was able to rejoice and praise be to His name. So that's my message to you today. No matter where you're at, as life comes against you and you become despair, you become uh, dis discouraged, you become what's going on, uh, finances, it could be jobs, it could be people at work, whatever it is, remember that you're to reach into that vertical axis and to grab a hold of that edut, draw near to the Most High, and let it come in and transform you and be the one that becomes the light to the nations and don't let the enemy snuff you out. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you so much for this word today. We thank you for encouraging us about your tabernacle, your testimony, where your living word dwells, where the covering of all of our infirmities and all of our sin and all of our iniquities, the covering is there. The Messiah is represented right there at the, at the covering. In between the cherubim, we will know our Messiah there. And so we thank you for 
teaching us this truth and how important your tabernacle and this place of your testimony is to us today. Thank you for encouraging us and lifting us up. Thank you for being the Most High, the Shepherd of Israel. We glorify you and praise you. In your Son, Yeshua's name, amen. I want to interrupt Mark because I wasn't quite sure all he was going to share. But I want to be honest with you too, that we gather, we study, we have the Word of God in us. But at that moment, that was a moment that we completely fell apart. Sometimes you become overcome with fear, despair. Um, think of another a few words. That could, discouragement, hopelessness. Um, what do we do? I mean, we have the word of God that's within us, but even at that moment, there was this little short window span that we didn't know what to do other than, like Mark said, we just reached out and said, I mean, we couldn't think of a scripture. We couldn't think of, because when that overcomes you, you are at a loss. And the only thing we could think of to do was to begin to praise, praise. the Almighty. Glorify That's the all King. we could think of. And as we began to thank him and to praise him for where we were, at that point, we began to feel the release, and now the word that we had and the things that we knew began to now settle in, and we could let these words come out of us. Yes. So I want to just be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I want to pray. If there is somebody that is at a point that you're feeling discouraged, despaired, fear, not knowing where to go, Abba, we come to you today, and we lift up those that may be joining us today that are in this moment, this brief moment. We hear all of these good teachings and all of these things, but in the critical moments, all of those things leave us, and all we have is you. I just intercede and I pray for anybody that's in that place right now that they would be able to reach in and begin to lift up praise to you to sing praises unto you. May the anointing of the Holy Spirit fall upon them as they reach out and begin to praise you. And as the praises are lifted up from their lips, Father, yes. Yes. may the word of God flood them and fill them and give them guidance and direction yes. and reminders of who they are and who you are and that you have not left leading, yes. guiding, and directing. Children of Israel. Amen. B'shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. So be it. Hallelujah. Now we get to say Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Hey. Thank you, everybody online, for joining us. Thank you all here. May you have a blessed rest of your Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom.